With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. From Variety, celebrating more than 115 years covering the business of entertainment, this is the Award Circuit Podcast. As soon as you think you know what Denzel's gonna do, he goes and does something else and does, does something completely different. And he keeps surprising not only himself. You, first of all, you better bring your A game when you're working with D. And and he doesn't suffer fools and and he's he comes ready to work and 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 you better become you you, you come you have a good time working as well, you know what I mean? But for me, this was uh this was a joy, man. The tragedy of Macbeth star Corey Hawkins continues to be in awe of working with his co-star, the one and only Denzel Washington. I'm Michael Schneider, and on this edition of the Variety Awards Circuit Podcast, we talk to Corey Hawkins about his experience working on Joel Cohen's take on the iconic Shakespearean play and his tremendous year, which also included a breakout role in the film adaptation of In the Heights. Also in this episode, we chat with Old Henry star Tim Blake Nelson. But first, our award circuit panel discusses Licorice Pizza, Don't Look Up, and other new releases. And we share what we're most thankful for in the popular culture this year. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. It's all on this edition of the Variety Awards Circuit Podcast. Stay close. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. I'm your old pal, Michael Schneider, along with my fellow podcast pals, the one and only Clayton Davis. Happy Thanksgiving, Michael Schneider. I'm thankful for all of you, Janelle Riley. All of me? Wait, is there multiples of me? Have you talked to my other personalities? I mean, all three of you. (laughs) You just couldn't let me have my own moment. You had to lump in these two with me. Thanks a lot, body mind. Take take two. No, 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 no. (laughs) And also thankful for Jazz Tankay. I'm thankful for you all. Hello. Jazz, who is wearing her Tick Tick Boom sweatshirt. Yeah. Oh, it looks so cozy. Tick, it tick, is boom. large and cozy. Boom. Tick, tick. I don't think boom. that's a song from it. That's mind. see, but. that's that's from Outcast. And and whenever oh. I hear the title of Tick Tick Boom, I think of Outcast. And and I want I want them to be a part of it. But I know it's an entirely different musical. By the way, I have to point out, um, because Michael is not doing films per se, you got to spend this weekend walking like 40 miles or something. You did your great LA walk. This, yep. I wanted to do it. I didn't realize it was this weekend. Yeah. That's why Mike, that's why Michael's in the emergency room right now. He's like, <laughs> he's, he's in the hospital bed. Exactly. I'm lying down. I'm in traction. Um, yeah. We do it every year, the Saturday before Thanksgiving and we get a couple hundred people to show up and we walk the length of a street in Los Angeles, usually from downtown to the ocean this year, we did something a little different. We went from the San Gabriel Mission to downtown to sort of retrace the steps of the original settlers of Los Angeles. And yeah, it's sort of, it's always fun to kick off the holiday season with it. And, and it's a good excuse now that I can gorge on pumpkin pie on Thursday since I just walked 12 miles. You earned it. I wow. earned it. You so, did earn it. Uh, I hope to see all three of you next year at the walk. 
RSVP it now. Um, say say. Well, I finally dates. joined your Facebook group because I remember you talking about this, and I was really interested. I'll be honest; I wasn't going to do the whole walk, but I was going to meet you somewhere. <laughs> you can, yeah, you can do as much or as little as you want. But uh, both both my kids did the entire length this year, which wow. was great. Um, when I started this 16 years ago, one of them wasn't even around, and the other one was you know one and a half. So it's kind of wild to see them mm-hmm. grow up and now actually do the walk. That's so crazy. Yeah. So that that's was a so lot cool. of fun. Okay. So we won't be doing any Q and A's next, this time next year. Yeah. That's we'll the be, problem. We'll, <laughs> I would have <laughs> had to duck in between. You, you all know. have been very, very busy. I just look at my socials and see you all like hobnobbing with uh, the, I see Clayton basically getting Oscar Isaac to, uh, you know, send a personal message to his wife, <laughs> which was yeah. cute. I to two personal messages. Because one, she finally watched Dune, and then the next day realizes she didn't watch Card Counter. So then we she watched it now. She hasn't watched Card Counter Uh, yet. No, because that just came in last night. So she was like, "Come on, you're asking too much of me." She actually saw Lost Daughter last night. Wow, that's cool. That's cool. So so she's she's the she's the consumer side of of the Oscar race now for us. You should have her do her picks along with your predictions and then sort of, yeah. you know, and mm-hmm. eventually when your kids get older, you get them in the game too. And suddenly you'll have a whole house of pro- prognosticators and, and that's a business right there. That's Clayton doesn't that, need that's, the competition. I feel, I feel like that's asking me to get fired from Variety because everyone's going to start my <laughs> position to get Jessica's picks in there. So I'm going to keep her out of it. All right. All right. Just, all right. Just for, self, just for selfish reasons. So what are we talking about this week? Uh, what do we have what opening? We what do we have opening uh, on this big Thanksgiving weekend? We have some big stuff. We have licorice yeah. pizza, which obviously has been screening for some time now, too. I would say pretty damn positive reviews. Um, no licorice or pizza in licorice pizza, though. <laughs> Absolutely. It's so right? disappointing. Right, right. But you do have a Heim. So you do have a Hyam and you do have a Hoffman and Cooper Hoffman. Cooper Hoffman, <laughs> who I finally met yesterday, is everything you would hope he would be. And, you know, I asked him if he was ever interested in acting and he was like, no, he was, he was the guy who did high school plays, but he was on tech. And even when they would, they would, I think this is really cool, by the way, his school would invite the tech people on stage to take a bow with the cast. They wanted the cast and crew to bow together. And he didn't even want to do that. He had no interest whatsoever in performing. He's a natural. He's so he, he really good. is. The apple did not fall apart in the tree. <laughs> they both are really fantastic, and they're just as adorable together as you would hope. Yeah, and that then, uh, uh, and then, uh, oh, can we, uh, we, we do need to say something because Janelle and I have been going back and forth about it about what six minutes of Bradley Cooper can bring to the Oscars. Please, please, there is no clear front runner at this point in the supporting actor race. I feel, and. I don't care how much screen time he has. Bradley Cooper delivers one of the best performances of the year. He should be recognized for it. It's not about quantity. It is about quality. And he is so, so good in that movie. It is a brilliant, brilliant piece. What, what is the rule in, in terms of who can be nominated? There's no, there's no, there's no rule. rule. There's just opinions. No, yeah. yeah. <laughs> there, uh, there, the shortest performance to ever win an Oscar was Beatrice Strait in Network. It was five minutes and 35 seconds, I think. And she's fantastic, by the way. And she's fantastic yeah. in the five minutes and 35 Fully seconds. Deserved. However, the difference is why I, and listen, I am of the he deserves a nomination crowd, but I am not part of he's going to get in crowd because 
I think the structure of short performances really matters in terms of you getting in. Beatrice Strait is in two scenes in network, like a little bit towards uh, the beginning and a little bit towards the end. And then you look at someone like William Hurt in the in a history of violence that got in for a final scene that's incredible. He ends the movie, and I think that helps him. Bradley Cooper comes an hour and 45 minutes in, and then there's still like another 20, 25 minutes after. And I think that is the chink in the armor. That's why I think he has trouble getting in. Doesn't mean he I he, he could. I just don't think he will. I but, hope you're wrong, but I understand what you're saying. Um, yeah. I'm just saying based on merits and people are really responding to that performance and who doesn't love Bradley Cooper? Come on. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm really hopeful. It, it's actually, uh, you know, I said there is no clear front runner, but there's a lot of great performances that, you know, are, are being talked about in that category. So I guess we'll see. How have Jackie your screenings been? been though? Cause you've been doing Q and A's. You did a Q and A this weekend, right? So me with licorice. Pizza? Yeah. 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 I mean, the response is always enthusiastic um, you know, uh, people just love this movie. I've, I've seen a couple people who like, you know, have said on Twitter that it wasn't their thing, but, uh, I, I don't know, for some reason I always expect movies to be more divisive than they actually end up being a lot of the time, <laughs> especially ones that I really like. Yeah. I think no, I PTA think by cool. nature is kind of divisive in general, just because he's PTA you know, that he just makes those movies that are not for the masses, you know, but he gets as close as he can to make it accessible. But this is definitely his most accessible movie that he's made yet. I don't know if I'd say ever, but it's, I find it. I mean, like, uh, uh, every, uh, if everything he's done, I would say yeah. probably. I find his movies so accessible, you know, and I guess I'm just lucky to live in a bubble with everyone loves him. So, yeah. <laughs> but I admit maybe that's a bubble. Maybe I'm biased. Mm. Maybe it's a valley bubble. Yeah. Uh, hey, <laughs> love the valley. Mike, I live how many PTA Magnolia for a reason. Oh yeah, I love Magnolia. That is his yeah. best movie, by the way. Uh, oh, I, mm, do I mean that? Yes, maybe. Uh, Mike, what PTA movies have you loved? That's your good like barometer, maybe. Of this. I mean, I I liked Magnolia a lot too. I, yeah. I think again because it's part of his uh, uh, valley uh, uh, exploration, so I can <laughs> I can appreciate that. So. Um, Someone um, mentioned last night that they got an email from him, and I was like, "Please tell me his email address is like fallingfrogs at gmail.com. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be incredible! Oh, Sorry, and such Michael. a such a great soundtrack uh, too. Going back mm-hmm. to the to the Amy oh, yeah. of it all, like still like just an and amazing he, moment. He does that here. The soundtrack here is really cool. Like, there's a Sunny and Cher song that Jen and I looked at one another. Was like that's Cher, but this is not like they didn't use like a. a big sun and share songs like one of the older songs and um it just yeah i listened to boogie boogie nights on the way home the soundtrack <laughs> another that's great my soundtrack favorite PTA. yeah that's my favorite pta movie yeah yeah i i got it that, that's great too and i think i mentioned it on a previous podcast what what sort of seals the deal with me for uh for this one is the fact that they resurrected kmet which is like a classic Los Angeles radio station that uh, shut down in 1987, but uh, it was sort of like an album rock station that's legendary in Los Angeles. If you love LA radio, you know KMET was one of the legends sort of 
uh, around the time that K-Rock had started as well and a bunch of these other stations. The fact that they have a big KMET billboard that uh, yeah. is well positioned mm -hmm. in, in this film, I'm like, I'm sold. I, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm in. Uh, Mike, are you a, a native Angelino? No, but I've been here 25 years now, so I'm kind of an adopted Angelino. Sure, sure. That's how I consider myself as well. <laughs> yeah, um, Clayton will be Clayton one day. Clayton and I, Clayton and I <laughs> just breaking no. in. We're still uh, five months in, so 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 consider myself a New Yorker. You'll be there. But, you'll, uh, you'll get there. You'll get there. Oh yeah, if you want. Yeah, <laughs> I, I do like. Um, but one, one other thing about licorice pizza in, in terms and when the supporting actor race, I think there are, I think there is a front runner. I think it's about, I, I always feel like we, and I'm going to use, uh, one of Janelle's famous examples, Mersha <laughs> Ali. No one believed he was a front runner for Moonlight until Except. they just, until they, until they just did it. Yeah. Like, mm -hmm. and then people are like, okay, fine. But everyone leading up to, like, at this point, leading up to it, people are like, Mahershala is probably going to do this. And, and like, everyone was like looking for something else until then it was presented and it was there. That's why I think I still believe in the Kieran Hines Belfast. Oh, sure. Belfast is going to yeah. provide some big competition. House of Gucci has two amazing supporting performances with Jared Leto and Al Pacino. Um, and those two couldn't exist without each other. They work so well in the movie. I mean, there's 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 a lot that, to get excited about, but yeah. I just don't know if there's a consensus yet. And, yeah. But but also again, waiting on Willem Dafoe still. He's yeah. still the last yeah. one. And Richard yes. Jenkins in the same movie. And David yeah. Chavarin yeah. in the same movie. Yeah, I mean, come and then on, David is... Alvarez from West Side Story because that role was nominated uh, in in the previous. So who knows? We'll know next week though. We'll yes, have an we idea. Yeah. On Gotham Day. Thank you, Disney, for that. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, also opening this weekend, House of Gucci. Uh, which I What's think that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, very curious to see how it plays with audiences. I, th I think it's going to do pretty well. I think um, so. Yes, I saw somebody say, like, you know, this film's chances aren't dead yet. And I was like, what do you mean? Like, Lady Gaga is getting nominated. Like, I think it's going to do yeah. really well. And I don't think I haven't seen at, it yet. And I can tell you that Gaga. it's going to be. Thank <laughs> I, you. Yeah. I, I can yeah. tell you she's going to be nominated. I have, I've only seen the trailer and I know she's yeah. going to be nominated. I, I think to Mike's point, you know, like you talk to like non uh, bubble people, and the only film that, that they're bringing up is House of Gucci. It's like, mm -hmm. when is that film coming up? I want to see it. And I think that. What else is that? And I guess West Side Story, strangely, is the other film. But House of Gucci definitely is like the number one. Everybody knows it. Everybody's seen the meme. They've all seen the trailer. Yeah. We're uh, also getting a lot of Don't Look Up because Leonardo DiCaprio and Jennifer Lawrence. Yes. You know, and also everyone is in that movie. Yeah. So. Ooh, can we talk about Don't Look Up for a second? Yeah, yeah. Let's do yeah. it. I was again. a big fan. So love yeah. it. Huge fan. Yeah, Jazz, I was, you can go, you, Jazz can kick it off. J go with their look. You, I think you loved it probably most at all of us. Oh, I disagree. I, oh, I you think? Oh, you love yeah. it more? Oh, oh, yeah. fight, oh, you guys fight that title? Yeah. Arm wrestle. Um, no, I think people. It's so interesting watching this. How seeing how this trailer played out on Twitter because people wanted to dismiss it and be like, "It's a mess." And I was like, "Do not dismiss Adam McKay." You go in and that film just delivers from beginning to end. It's not just the performances. It is. Just that script is such an incredible script. And the comic timing of everybody 
seeing Leo go against type, seeing Kate Blanchett, Timothy Chalamet is brilliant in this. I don't think the score, Nicholas Bratel score is amazing. And we've talked about the Ariana Grande Kid Cudi moment. That is the definition of original song. And that's yeah. why I agree with you 100% Clayton. This is your best original song front runner. Mm. Um, that branch loves songs that are in the movie. It's not, ju- it doesn't mm. just play. It plays. There is, it's written specifically. It's a moment. Mm. It's, 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 a moment. The, it's the scene of the movie. Adam and McKay it, also acknowledges as his favorite yeah. moment of the movie as well. Everyone says it too. Um, but yeah, it's brilliant. Meryl Streep is superb. And fun fact, they wrote this, he wrote this film before the pandemic. Yep. So you're watching that and go, and it's eerie okay. as hell. And also like yes. talking against the, I don't know if I'd say playing against type, because I guess he's kind of played this type before, but I feel like you're seeing people really cutting loose and having fun. Mark Rylance yeah. as like yeah. this mad genius with- As Mark Zuckerberg? Yeah. Meet Steve Jobs. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just every little thing he does. And apparently he was like really, really good at improvising. And people were kind of like upset that like Mark Rylance could basically do anything. And Jonah Hill, who like is in love with his mother and keeps talking about how sexy she is. Like, there's just so many great moments. Great to see Rob Morgan. The role was written for him, you know, in a, in a yeah. big hefty performance. And yeah, it's just, it's, it's, you know, uh, some people might say it's an eat your vegetables movie. It, you know, uses comedy to, uh, uh, you know, put across this important message but like, it's just, it's just so much more than that. It's, hmm. it's, it's really quite a feat. Also but an improv scene, by the way, uh, Jonah Hill sexualizing Meryl Streep was not in the script. They said that in yeah. the Q&A, it's just hilarious. Yeah. So it's, it, it makes it even more funny. So I like it. <laughs> like, I don't, I mean, I, I, I think it's, so it's about divisive directors again. Adam McKay, in this, in this latter part of his career with Vice, and Big Short uh, gets a. And obviously, Big Short was probably not as divisive as in in hindsight. Vice definitely was was split down the middle, and I think this will be divisive as well. But I find this to be the best of that of this three of this trilogy that we're gonna uh, call it. But I think Leo is great. He has like a very Peter Finch network moment that that rocks and utilizes all of Leo's great skills as an actor. Um, Jonah Hill's role, I feel, was designed to be a scene stealer. But I think because the movie, and I, I, I called it a bummer, but a good bummer, it was too real for its own good. So when that when it makes that turn in your life, it was like for me, it was very funny for the first like 40 minutes. And I was like, this feels like right now I'm not laughing anymore. And I was so like enjoying it. But I was like, this, this sucks. <laughs> like, like, this is our life very soon. And then when Jonah Hill is part of that, then I'm like, no, fuck you, man. <laughs> like, part of my French. But I was like, no, I don't want to see you anymore because you're mean. <laughs> and this is all very mean to the story. But I think it's a very good performance and Jonah Hill's great. And the fun fact is when Leo gets nominated for lead actor, a supporting actor has always come in with him. So we have to make our picks on if that's going to happen or stick with Leo. But Ariana Grande, the best. She's pretty fantastic. 
Yeah. Do you do you think it's harder, uh, give, given the the world is collapsing and uh, we're we're all uh, doomed to sort of watch entertainment like this? Yeah, uh, a, a little. Yeah, a little bit. I think it was it's similar to like last year, uh, as we got to the end of the award season last year. I think some people were just looking like, why my octopus teacher won? People were looking for something to like take their minds out of what was happening around them. So don't look up could be a little bit of that, but. Because it's satire, and it's I think, so you know, fun, and it's very, it's very, so very fun. fun and funny. Yeah. yeah, you know. So I, I think there's a lot for people to access. It's, it's, it's a, little, it's a little on the beefier side, runtime wise, but I think it, I think it runs very well. Hank Corwin's editing is really, really well done. Um, I was very taken by Kate Blanchett in the movie. Also I think she's really, yeah, yeah, brilliant. She, I think, is fantastic. This is also the movie of fake teeth. Like so many people wearing like fake chompers and it like evident that they're that they are. Um, but yeah, I, I think SAG Ensemble is almost a given. Like that this will be nominated for that. Like there's too many things. Fake also, teeth, or did everyone forget to go to the dentist during the pandemic? <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> now Probably. I want to see a like a buddy movie with Kate Blanchett and Tyler Perry because they play yeah. these two sort of gossip anchors that are, and they're really fun together. Yeah. Also, uh, Kira, we were just talking about it before, supporting an actor. Kieran Hines, Jared Leto, Bradley Cooper, count your blessings. Because early on in the season, there was discussion about the, pushing the entire cast supporting, saying it's an ensemble. And if that was happening, Leonardo DiCaprio would be winning his second Oscar this year. So count your blessings that he's lead. Mm, very interesting. Uh, for, for the moment, for the moment, unless something pivots. Unless they listen to Clayton Davis saying this right now and change the plans. <laughs> well, speaking of Thanksgiving, this is a terrible segue. Uh, <laughs> Come on, Michael, that's beneath you. But, speaking uh, of don't looking up, exactly. <laughs> Look down at your plate. Sorry, I'm tired, guys. Did I mention that I walked 12 miles the other day? So I'm just going to get straight to the point. <laughs> this is our. This is our annual Thanksgiving episode. I'm going to say that now because it's our second uh, Thanksgiving episode. So now this is a new tradition. We're going to go around the horn and everyone sort of look back at the year in pop culture and entertainment and tell me what you're sort of most thankful for. What uh, what mattered to you this year? It could be something that just blew your socks off, was entertaining, that meant something to you, that was uh, emotionally resonant, uh, whatever you want. So... Oh. Who wants to start? Um, oh. Okay, oh. Janelle. Janelle, you go. Oh. Ladies first. Uh, you know, um, I it, it sounds silly, but I'm so grateful to have the theatrical experience back, to be able to go to theaters and see movies and have that experience. And I am so grateful that people have been so cool at these screenings. I've never seen anyone, people don't have to tell you, keep your mask on. You know, everyone is cooperating. Everyone seems happy to be there. It's just a joy. It's also a joy seeing people, even if it's only the top part of their face. Um, I really, really miss that communal experience. Yeah, that's great. That's great. And um, yeah, you're right. I'm glad that we're we're getting back into the swing of things. And and as we're doing these these panels that we've all had a chance to moderate, it just feels good again to see people. And and we're all vaxxed and we're all tested. And and so it's just there's the nice comfort level that's back again. Tested sometimes three times a day. 
Yeah. Because <laughs> I have events with different studios and they, you know, want their own tests. So there was one day where I had three different tests, but you've gotten yeah. to know the inside of your nose very well. Oh, so yeah. I don't think anything's it, left in there. Yeah. If they've swabbed it, it all away. <laughs> it hurts. You're going from like, oh, I'm just coming out of a 48 hour window for a PCR test and I'm coming out of a you know 24 hour window of like a rapid test. And like this is the test room today. Yeah. Here you go. Here's but again, people have been great about, I haven't heard complaints, no. you know, like we're jokingly complaining here, but like, yeah. you know, people, people want to be safe and they want others to be safe. That's been my experience at least. And people are so, res- I, like you said, they're so respectful. It's like, yep. are you okay if I take my mask off when you're sitting down for interviews? And it's like, I'm vaxxed, I'm tested. And I was like, okay, cool. Yeah. And just, I think that in person, the energy to have that back again makes the this season so enjoyable and like, yeah. Oh yeah. That's yeah. cool. Well, Jazz, how about you? What, uh, what are you thankful for this year? I agree with Janelle a hundred percent, the theatrical experience and just being around talking about films and discussing that. But I'm also grateful for new succession that this mm-hmm. season is <laughs> so great. And just TV this year has been so good. Morning show season two is superb. Um, <laughs> I'm, yes. <laughs> You know, I did a panel with them the other night with Jen Aniston and uh, Reese Witherspoon. Jen. And uh, yeah, we're on first. We're, we're, she's Jen, Jen now. Jen. We're, we're, we're tight. Uh, we sat next to each other. So, uh, but yeah, that was that was a lot of fun. And, and Mark Duplass and, and Nestor Carbonell and uh, Greta Lee, uh, Deshaun K. Terry also was there. And uh, that was just, that was a lot of fun. And that, that was, this was a batshit season, but I'm mm-hmm. here for it. Me too. Yeah. Do, do you know any word on what happened to Belle Pally? I thought she was coming back for season two. Uh, don't know. Don't know the, the, the details, but, um, there was a lot more Corell in season two that I was expecting. Remember it was like, yeah. Oh, he's sort of, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, some, I mean the, the moments of, of him and, uh, Jen, my buddy, Jen Aniston, <laughs> um, were stellar. I mean, a- Aniston just kicked it out of the park this year. He's which so was good. Amazing. Oh, so, that's a great good. season. Um, that oh, sorry, Jazz so- interrupted you. No, that's fine. And I'm also grateful for new music from ABBA. It just feels like not that I was <laughs> alive when their music came out, but like, you know, the, the new ABBA album and new Adele, I mean, that dropped during Don't Look Up. And I, my phone, well, my watch was vibrating. I was like, did I break the embargo? Like, why is my phone going crazy? And I looked down and so all I saw was Adele. And I was like, yeah. Oh. So she dropped that album. Um, and it is amazing. So I'm grateful for New Adele. And I'm just grateful to see my colleagues. Like I've been seeing people like in person and it's great. That's it. So Jazz, what did you think of the new ABBA? Because uh, what I've heard so far kind of, I don't know, maybe I need to listen to it a bit more. I kind I like it a lot, actually. It's just, yeah. I mean, I always love like new music from artists that I love and this was just I was like oh here you go Judy Kramer you can write a script for Mamma Mia too because yes I'm going canon and I'm this is the perfect sequel to the first Mamma Mia movie <laughs> and that is me being the most controversial I've been in <laughs> hot take hot take how about hot take. how about you Clayton what's your uh pick of the year oh, I mean god it's like it's my first full season at Variety and first one in LA. So there's just like, I mean, like uh, I've been getting very uh, cathartic and trying to like take it all in, but just grateful to like 
be doing this. Like we we got we do have the best jobs on the planet. And I have to remind ourselves of that or remind myself of that like pretty pretty much daily that like that this this is the best thing we could do. And I just really grateful for doing it. But one of the big moments besides seeing Come On, Come On, which I think like was a perfect movie to get me out of the pandemic. Uh, was doing the my very first big theatrical moment was within the Heights. Did the premiere of In the Heights at the Chinese Theater. I got to moderate the Q and A. It was the first time I've been in a movie theater in you know fifty years because that's how long the pandemic lasted. Mm-hmm. And it was talk about the movie to like reintroduce you back for me. It was just like screaming Latinos in a room, like watching In the Heights crying because we were watching in the heights and i don't think anything could ever match at the chinese theater which was my first time at the chinese theater like also so like there there was like you know there's a whole bunch of stuff and then uh, you know seeing oscar isaac this weekend and you know having watching in real time my wife filing divorce papers because she (laughs) she has a chance now was pretty crazy you know yeah you, you can't blame her you cannot yeah i mean yeah, i can't i mean listen i i was gonna file too if i thought yeah. i had a better chance with him than she did i would go for it but we, we don't so well you might because he was telling me i was telling him how some of my early crushes were tim curry and raul julia and he said oh we have the same crushes see, <laughs> see don't give me hope here come on <laughs> we gotta i was we'll basically like, for a little while anyone who can pull off a pencil thin mustache i'm into yeah <laughs> But uh, but yeah, I'm also just grateful for seeing people in 3D. I got to meet like some some more variety people last week. So Katzi, Steven, our our social media uh, person, and David Vermontes. I saw them in person. Katzi was taller than me. It was really hard for me to like <laughs> deal with that part of it. But you know, everything else was great. That's all. It's all good. Yeah, I had a chance to see uh, our team uh, recently too when we did the. Uh, uh, video for squid game which by the way should be out by the time you uh uh, are listening to this so that was a lot of fun but i gotta say my probably my thankful moment of the year i gotta go back to my man josh o'connor who (laughs) saved yeah our ass this year when everyone who we (laughs) were ready to put on the cover of variety after the uh, emmys uh was not winning an emmy as we hoped the worst feeling yeah (laughs) In the end, Josh O'Connor happened to be in Los Angeles, even though the rest of his uh, uh, castmates were back in the UK. And he was willing to, on a moment's notice, come in and do a photo shoot and an interview and video, even though he was flying the next day. It all came together. It was was so lovely. He was delightful. Uh, it was just such a good experience and uh, some great photos, a great like experience doing that. And, and sometimes it's the moments like that that you really like, once it's all done, you're like, that was that was amazing. This is why I love my job because of the adrenaline that came from like not knowing that this is what we were gonna do. And suddenly we did it and we got it in a magazine two days later. I mean, crazy and scary. But it happened. So thank you. Thank you to Josh O'Connor for being Josh O'Connor and being there. And, uh, you know, I will toast you on Thanksgiving. (laughs) (laughs) And also thank you to the three of you, Clayton, Janelle, Jazz. It is a pleasure working with all three of you. And uh, here's to 
more weeks of me not knowing what uh, you guys are talking about. And hopefully soon I will get screeners and we'll be watching some of these movies. <laughs> well, and- well, listen, that, that's what I, just, I think this is a good thing to end on coming ahead. You know, Thanksgiving break is going to provide a lot of opportunity for people to catch up. A lot of people have not seen like anything. So they're going to be catching up. And I looked on the BAFTA portal. There's 124 movies on there. And there are over 100 movies currently on the Oscar portal. So I think a lot of people are going to start getting those in. We we got our homework, everyone. So take that long weekend and start seeing some movies. And uh, we'll we'll see you next week. Thanks, Clayton. Thanks, Janelle. Thanks, Jazz. Thanks, Michael Schneider. Thanks, After breakout performances over the years in films such as Straight Outta Compton and Black Klansman, Corey Hawkins will next be seen taking on the classic role as Macduff, the foil to the titular character in the tragedy of Macbeth, the monochrome adaptation of the William Shakespeare play from Joel Cohen. By the pricking of my thumbs, something wicked this way comes. Opposite two-time Oscar winner Denzel Washington and four-time winner Francis McDormand, the 33-year-old Hawkins takes on the moral figure with a fury of passion and technique, managing to carve out multiple standout moments along with other featured players, Moses Ingram and Catherine Hunter. In addition, Hawkins has had a robust cinematic year that included his performance as Benny in the big-screen adaptation of the Tony-winning musical In the Heights. Variety's Clayton Davis recently met up with Hawkins to discuss the tragedy of Macbeth, working with Denzel Washington, and what's next on his acting docket. They began by discussing Hawkins' recent string of success and accolades. It means a lot, man. That's that's for me right now. Like that is um, that's all I all I can do. You know what I mean? It's like I, I for me, it's just about choosing cool projects, great directors things that speak to me, that speak to what we're talking about. Um, and and not to be too, you know, uh, heavy handed with it or, or you know, but I, I just really want to make sure that I'm 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 walking in in the path that was meant for me. So uh, at this point, I'm, I, I just can't complain, man. Really can't. Uh, I mean, do you feel like the road has been long to get to this moment. I mean, I mean, 32, which is like, depending on you know, who you ask. I guess it's on Wikipedia somewhere. And, you know, uh, and these gray hairs don't uh, help. Every, every, that, that's considered like, you know, 55 in dog years. You know, we don't know how, how long that's, that's true. Been. That's true. <laughs> but that's uh, true. how do you, do you feel like it's been long or do you feel like, you know, everything happened at a good pace for you? Um, it's been a, it's been a good pace. There's no way I could, I could look at where I am now, uh, and say that, and I, and I, you know, I haven't, there's no arrived, you know, I haven't arrived anywhere, but there's no way I can look at where I am now and say that it's been a a long (laughs) journey. Um, because, you know, many of the actors I respect in this, in this industry, um, are still in this industry. And and they didn't have moments. They they have careers. And and for me, um, it's slow. It's about slowly building those pieces. And whether that's you know off 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 Broadway, whether that's you know <laughs> the just odd jobs and ends and things I had to do in New York to get by, whatever that is, all of those steps were crucial 
in my, in where I am now. And so, you know, even graduating from school, like off Broadway was like the dream, you know, I was like, man, I'm a working actor. I'm, I'm, you know, and it didn't take me long to get here. I'm grateful. So this, this feels like an evolution, but I'm, I'm happy, man. I, I cannot complain. All right, cool. Great. All right, man, let's get into it. Uh, mm-hmm. cause you, did, you did this movie with Denzel Washington, dude. Bruh. Denzel himself. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Listen, I, I, I'm always reminded of something that Leslie Odom Jr. told me last year. And I always, I was, you know, I, I'm always very mindful of it. Especially yeah. as, a, as, a, as a black man coming into, you know, this space. Mm-hmm. Once you get enough space for from people saying, when they stop saying, you're the next Denzel, and they realize there's never going to be another Denzel, there's just yeah. one, then you can do something that's great. Yeah. And, um, and it looks like you have also broken out of that now, and you're you're <laughs> finally, you're finally like, you know, it's Corey Hawkins, McDuff. Man. I mean, how, how's it feel, man? Um, I, Look, man, I got to say, you know, I'm incredibly, I'm incredibly grateful to, to that man. That, that man is, um, (laughs) on this, on this, I've known him before this, you know, but to actually share a screen with him, to actually share space, to, to sit down in, in his dressing room and just talk, pray, listen, you know, talk sports, talk, whatever, you know, just to, to, to actually know the man. You know, that's the thing for me that has um, has just, you know, it's always this crazy because they say, what, what is it? You, you know, never meet your heroes. Or, yeah. you know, but but to finally dispel that rumor, man, because 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 he is the greatest of all time. And I always say I'm like, you know, I like I, I, I love the fact that I get to now walk in his footsteps, but I can never feel that man's shoes. You know what I mean? For me. Yeah. He is, and he continues, it's because as soon as you think you know what Denzel's going to do, he goes and does something else and does, does something completely different. And he keeps surprising not only himself, yeah. I mean, obviously everybody else, you know what I mean? So I just, I, I you, first of all, you better bring your A game when you're working with D. Um, and and he doesn't suffer fools and and he's, um, he comes ready to work and, and, and you better become, you, you, you come, you have a good time working as well. You know what I mean? But for me, this was, uh, this was a joy, man, to have, I, I could get into, I could get yeah. into a film, but I, I, I'm, I'm thankful, um, to be on this path and to have him as a mentor. Um, it, it just very grateful. We, we, when you, uh, took on the project, were you surprised that you guys were going to do it? traditional Macbeth uh, movie. No, actually. And and actually, to be honest, I actually don't know if it's traditional. It sort of feels a bit non-traditional in the elements of it all. Traditional in the sense that it's period, you know, a period piece, but you can't necessarily place it. But it is a sort of artful rendition of it, this sort of dreamscape that you can't yeah. really, that you have to kind of bring yourself to. So I wasn't really, uh, I, I wasn't really su- uh, surprised. The, the thing that just shocked me was just walking in and, 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 you know, Joel Cohen is the kind of director that, you know, everything is, you know, it's all planned out. It's all stored. There's communication. Everybody's on the same page. He works with the same collaborators all the time. So I'm walking into, you know, a family unit, you know what I mean? And, and, and so that was, that was the thing that I had to sort of like, 
you know, get used to and and kind of let my shoulders down a little bit and just just drop in. Um, and so that was that was dope. That was really dope. Um, did you and when I always say like because uh, I always uh, I was talking with some uh, fellow colleagues, yeah. you're Joe Cohen, yeah. and you could probably do any movie you want, right? Yeah. You're like, I'm gonna do Macbeth. Like I'm just gonna do Macbeth. <laughs> You know, so that, that that's that's what was surprised. Like, all right, you're gonna go do Macbeth. Let's, let's do right. Macbeth. But it's right. great that the casting of the roles, you Denzel, without yeah. addressing, like, without without like making it a thing of the show, right, is what's most surprising for me. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I think that part is 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 what, and it's a pleasant surprise because I'm like, you know, we yeah. have black men in these roles, but we're not gonna make it a thing. We don't have to make it a thing. You don't and, have to. Yes. Yeah. And they were they were very there was there was li- very little to no conversation ab- about that because that that's the world in which because also when, you know we're talking about Shakespeare here you know it's four hundred years old um, and it and it, it's the kind of text that that can enca- that can people can bring themselves to it and for me um, <laughs> again I, I say it all the time. But Shakespeare was a poet of the streets, right? Like he was in the same way that, and so I there, there are ways that I can identify with that as a black man. I listen to hip hop and I listen to, and I know the other roles that I, you know, that there, there's similarities there. You know who he was talking to 400 years ago and who he's talking to now, and what these 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 human conditions that he's analyzing and all all of that. Um, you can bring all of yourself to it without putting it in a box and, and making it. It has to look like a certain thing. Some people think that that Shakespeare is this unattainable thing that has to sit over here and and only the best of the best can talk about it and analyze it. And and other people aren't allowed in. And that bothers the heck out of me, man, because it's for all of us, you know. And, And so to be able to share the screen with another black man, to have that the climax of the film, you know, you know, the film is in black and white, but we're not talking about the black and white. We're talking about the black, you know, the, the black and white of the human condition right now. Yeah. Two black men who are two sides of the same coin see each other and then make a decision to to get to business. You know, at the climax of it on that parapet, man, I just think there's so many other levels to to it all that I just I think is really dope to yeah. to see. And not just that. It's like. Everybody is like we got people from London, America, you know, British, American, uh, Irish, you know, it's just all over, man. And 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 that's dope, too. Yeah, no, for, for sure. Um, when you're actually because you went to Juilliard and sorry, I'm going to I'm going to mm-hmm. make you elitist for a second. I'm going <laughs> to ask what oh, is your favorite Shakespeare uh, show? Like what's your favorite Shakespeare to portray if you could do a, another film? Um, I would love to, at some point, take a, take a stab at Hamlet. I mean, that would be a dream, you know what I mean? Um, but, uh, you know, maybe Othello, I know Denzel talking about like, you know, when he did that at Fordham, um, years ago when we were at New York Film Festival, he was just talking about, cause it's literally right across the street from, yeah. um, and his journey from there all the way to where he is. Um, but uh, one of my favorites is Midsummer Night's Dream, man. Um, only because of just the just the magic, man. Um, it just reminds. Yeah, I, feel like we, I feel like we haven't gotten a good Midsummer Night's Dream film adaptation yet. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm, totally, I'm surprised no one's really just grabbed it yet. 
Yeah, man. I mean, because you can you can it can hold like to, with that, with an incredible visionary, uh, uh, you know, filmmakers who can kind of create that cinematic scope. I mean, I, I think, you know, it's weird you say I've always thought Guillermo del Toro could just like nab it. Whoa. and like do Yes. Damage with. Yeah. Yeah, man. Right, I'm going to text him later. I'm like, listen. OK. Man. All right. Cool. Corey and I were talking. Right. Corey, Corey's down. I'm, I'm down. down just, I'm down to just sit on set. You know, I'll chill with you a little bit. Oh, we got it going. Next project is going. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> no, yeah, no, that's no, that's, yeah. that's such a good point. I, yeah, I think there's something about like again, that's that's the and it, it is accessible. It's it's more accessible than people think it is. You know, I just think we got to show. It just we just got to be exposed to it. Shakespeare was nowhere on my radar until I got to Juilliard, and that's a shame mm-hmm. to me yeah. because growing up in DC public schools, you know, or like you know, it's like why why aren't we really talking about it? Because we think that it's something other than what we can do is, you know what I mean? What box are we putting this thing in and what box are we putting ourselves in? You know? Well, well, you, you gave me a great segue to my next point, man. Cause you're from, you're from the East coast from DC. I, I was born in New York and lived in Jersey city. Also went to public schools during elementary school and then went to a Catholic high school. But yes, Shakespeare right. was not very much on our radar. And a lot of it is just, a big disconnect in education mm-hmm. and even film itself was not like, I consider myself one of these guys that fell into this by accident. I'm catching up on all the classics, you know, mm-hmm. what you're supposed to see. I've right. seen a ton of Fellini. Like, you right. know, I, there, there's a, there's a the films you're supposed to see. You're supposed to see. You know you're supposed to know. Mm-hmm. How did you find uh, acting? Like to go from DC public schools to Juilliard, that's, for some people, that's hundreds yeah. and hundreds of miles. Yeah, right. it, it it well, it was for me. It was it was literally actually. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I I actually, you know, before going to Juilliard, I was told by people who I respected, people I was close to, they were like, "Don't do that. Like, why would you do that? They're gonna turn you into this other thing. You know, you're gonna become a classically trained robot and and why would you want that? And I believed them. So I, I didn't. I didn't even audition. Like, And that's how how crazy it is that we but also how God works, because my path ultimately led me back there, you know, because one year I went one year and I just went to California hundreds of miles away and then went to school out there. And I realized that isn't what I want. I know myself. I, I I know I grew up in D.C. I know who I am. You know what I mean? Or learning, you know, but yeah. I know what I come from in my roots. Why can't I now bring all of that other stuff into it? And had I not done that, I would never have been exposed. I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you right now, to be honest. You know, and, and this is a, a pleasure for me. You know what I mean? To be sitting here having this kind of conversation is because I thought about the fact that I want to do something different and just add it to my toolbox. I'm not changing who I am. And I think a lot of that is again, how we think about academia and like what, where, what we're learning in school, what are we actually teaching ourselves, uh, you know, teaching our kids and, and exposing them to and, and saying, you know, you can use all of this part of yourself and all of that part of yourself. And, and, you know, why not work on Midsummer Night's Dream and talk about all these you know, these dynamics and the politics in Macbeth and the ambition and dreams and goals and what that can do to you, 
all of these things are, are it's just stuff that we should be having a conversation. And it's not, it's not just Shakespeare either. It's, you know, there's classics, other classics, there's, there's black American, you know, playwrights and, and writers who are also our classics. And why aren't we talking about them in the arts as well? You know, so I, I just, I, I dig that conversation, man. And that, that is something that I'm, I'm fighting for to, to push, you know, even more of. I was yeah. just talking to Francis about this last night, man. Yeah. She, she, you want to sound like, yeah, you make such a good point, man. Like, like, I, Listen, I, I'm Puerto Rican and black, and I didn't. Right. I never heard the name James Baldwin until I got to college. Wow. I didn't know. I never even heard the name. Didn't know who he was wow. until I got to college, and it was like wow. in passing. And like yeah. a book I read, and like I, I, all this, you find out. Like yeah. I, I don't think people trust. The, you know, I, it's it's weird. It's it's very. Uh, I think we're at this crossroads now. It's all about. It's, it is academics, mm-hmm. but it's also about passion. And I feel like we people have relied so much when talking about film and art on the academic part, which has weirdly like removed uh, people of color from that conversation. Mm-hmm. But then when we talk about passion, they think it removes the academics, and the two can live together, it, not it, mutually exclusive. Exactly. So that, I, I'm, I'm glad you you bring that up because it's a very it's a very but, interesting point. Well, that's a great point that you make too. Like they they are not mutually exclusive, you know. And sometimes you know you talk about studying literature. Right. And then you talk about the passion of of and, and for some reason trying to bridge that gap has has become. But then you think about, you know, how conscious, you know, hip hop was, but, you know, and, and, and still is in some place, you know. And yeah. so like what what those conversations are and, and, and bridging that gap. And so why, you know, I, I think it's all part of the same conversation. And um, and again, to be able to look at this film and see, you know, yourself young black women see Moses Ingram up on that screen, protecting her son, you know, talking about a, a man who she thinks ran out on her to go, you know, but he thinks he did the right thing for them and, and they're missing each other. I mean, what, like the conversations that are being had in this film with just the choices of casting and, 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 and just how, how we're shaping it. I just think it's, uh, it's dope. And I think that's, that's that's how you how you bridge that that gap. First of all, Moses Ingram. <laughs> first my of all, heart, my heart. First of all, last of all. I mean, come on, <laughs> my God, like she is, man. makes the most of every word, verb, ounce, moment, millisecond. She she's she's yeah, fire, fire, yeah. man. In another, yeah, yeah. I could say a thousand things about Moses Ingram, but she is. Uh, I'm, I'm thankful we got to work together on this one. Uh, listen, this also comes on, on a great year you, you have, and you're also, uh, you were also in, in the Heights earlier this year mm-hmm. as, uh, as Benny, mm-hmm. uh, you know, dispatch. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I did feel working on in the Heights and being part of that, you know? Um, again, man, it was, uh, it, the funny thing is I lived, <laughs> I lived in the Heights when I was in, uh, um, when I was in New York, when I was a student. And yeah. so um, <laughs> even after uh, I graduated and, and before I ended up moving to Harlem and that was incredible, man, to be able to, and it was such a long time coming to get that musical up, but no one knew that I really sang. I didn't, I didn't even know I could sing. I, I, I mean, really? honest, like calling myself a singer, like there's a difference between singing and then being like, I'm a singer, right? Yeah. I'm an actor. I, I can say that I'm an actor, yeah. you know, because I know the discipline and work that went into that. But for me, um, in the heights allowed me to again 
just do surprise myself, you know, do something. My family has always known that I like, you know, that I could sing and dance and do all that stuff. But so it was great for them because it was like at, at, at parties and cookouts and stuff. Like, you know, yeah, you, you know, that sort of thing. And yeah. the, you know, the, the cookouts in the backyard and stuff like that. I'm always the one singing happy birthday to everybody. Yeah. But like, um, no, but fight to be able to to do that and to see the pride on their faces, you know, mm. my my grandmother's face to see that film, uh, you know, and, and knowing I grew up singing with her in the church, you know, so that that was great. Um, Lynn Manuel Miranda, John Chu, um, Kiara, like this incredible creative team of people of color um, who don't look like me, you know what I mean? They, they but we are still people of color and we still yeah. have those same struggles. I just love the idea of being able to represent Benny, um, who's a black man in the neighborhood. And, 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 uh, it was, it was great, man. And my cast was dope too. Shout out to well, all. Well, yeah, I, I, I just have to say, cause you got two, uh, amazing counterpart leading mm-hmm. women next to you. Leslie Grace on top of that too. Like, so what, what, what you been doing right, man? Just like Leslie Grace and Moses Ingram, just like asking I just, all the next generation. I just, I don't know, man. Like it just, it's just, it's just a wavelength that I can dig and I'm trying to stay on, man. It's just great to be able to work with these women. And these, I mean, Leslie Grace <laughs> operates with grace. You know, she came from a place of ability because that was one of her first films. And now to see her growing and now doing what she's doing and still a musician and still having her, her and a boss too, an entrepreneur, like, you know, so I respect that. Um, even, you know, Melissa Barrera, and now, you know, and then Moses, my cast, you know, I, I just, again, I like just working with good people, man. And I, yeah. I'm so grateful and blessed because I've been able to, 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 to do that. And I don't know, man, I'm just, I just feel like I'm getting lucky. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, all right, let me, let me end here. What, what do you got coming next is, uh, there's some things on the IMDb docket, you know, but, uh, what, what, what do you got? Uh, what do you got coming down the pike? Well, we are gearing up to do Color Purple, man, uh, for Warner Brothers. Back in the back in the saddle with my same producers, uh, Oprah's on board, um, and uh, Scott Sanders, Mar Jacobs. Um, we're we're doing this, man. Blitz Bazawule. He, this man is brilliant, uh, and I, I'm just thankful again to work with another director of color. Um, our conversations. Um, I just think it's going to be a special and magical story and, and, and a gift that will continue to give to this. The color purple has been given to generations for, I mean, to, to all of us for generations, you know what I mean? For, and so to finally, and I got a message from Alice Walker. I mean, like it just, it just blew my mind. So like, um, Oh wait, just, just for, and for our listeners, so this isn't the remake of the eighties version. This is the musical yes, adaptation. Yeah. Yeah, Which, the, the wow, Tony Award-winning musical that was on Broadway. Um, I, I, I saw it on Broadway. I saw it with Fantasia on Broadway. Oh, really? Yes, and lost my face. Man, <laughs> man. I saw, I got to see, what's crazy is I got to see my classmate, Danielle Brooks, do it on Broadway. And I, I missed her when she was it. I mean, it's, I mean, Tony, let me say Tony nominee, Danielle Brooks on yeah. Broadway <laughs> doing that, playing Sophia, the role that Oprah played in the film. And um, and she she put it down. She put it down and and did that in, in, in entire cast. And so um, and to see her succeed, you know, knowing what we came up through. It's just beautiful, man, to see these parallel journeys. And uh, so I'm, I'm excited to bring that story to a new generation and to finally have that conversation. 
right now um, because it was a conversation back then, but it's it's really more of a conversation right now. And, and who you're playing in color purple? Harpo. Harpo. <laughs> Harpo. So, you, so you gotta get beat up in the movie. You gotta get beat yeah. up. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but again, we get we get to talk about that, man. Like yeah. those power dynamics and yeah. and what it's like to to what what is that? What is masculinity? You know what I mean? Yeah. What is that? You know, in in the relationships that we that we have and how we live that, man. I, I'm I'm really looking forward to to diving into it through 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 the scope and lens of music and song and. Uh, but but we're you know we're in early stages right now so right. so so we're it's going to be but it's going to be special it's going to be special man. That's Corey Hawkins, one of the stars of the Tragedy of Macbeth, which is scheduled to have a limited release in theaters on December 25, before streaming on Apple TV Plus on January 14, 2022. And after the break, old Henry star Tim Blake Nelson from Los Angeles. This is Variety's Award Circuit Podcast. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. And we're back. It's the Award Circuit Podcast. I'm Michael Schneider. Old Henry stars Tim Blake Nelson as Henry, a farmer who takes in an injured man played by Scott Hayes with a satchel of cash. When a group led by a man called Ketchum, as portrayed by Stephen Dorff, comes for the money, Henry must decide whom to trust. Friday's Jazz Tanke recently spoke with Nelson about the film. She began by asking the star, famous for roles in films including Oh Brother Where Art Thou and The Ballad of Buster Scruggs, if he has always been drawn to westerns. I have, uh, and and for many reasons. Growing up in Oklahoma back in the 70s, 1970s, there were four stations and invariably on Sunday afternoon, one of them was playing a Sergio Leone Western. And I was always in their thrall. My brother and I would sit down and, and, and watch them uh, year after year after year. And more than enjoying as a kid growing up in Oklahoma, the, shoot them up aspects of them. It was my introduction to film as an art form because his movies were so insanely subjective. And I suddenly realized that cinema could be an art form um, and a wildly subjective one in, in that the way that Sergio Leone not only uh, used a lot of compression with the, you know, his lens choices with the extreme close-ups and widescreen. But the way he edited, uh, the way he used music, the way he used uh, sound, and particularly Foley. Um, and, and also the costumes, you know, because you could, you could say to yourself, why, why is this guy wearing a duster in the desert? 
Or why is Clint Eastwood in a poncho when it looks like it's a uh, hundred degrees outside or right. the cigar or type of cigar he smoked and all these really deliberate and wildly stylish choices were just incredibly instructive about what the film medium could do. And then there were the performances um, uh, and time and time again, you could see these characters, you know, these actors either reprise their roles or play different roles movie to movie. Um, Lee Van Cleef and Clint Eastwood, uh, Eli Wallach, uh, Charles Bronson, Henry Fonda, uh, Klaus Kinski is in one of the movies uh, because they were, of course, shot in Europe. And I fell in love with the Western and I fell in love with filmmaking. Wow, what a story. So, I mean, here you are, and we will talk about your other roles, but Old Henry is such an incredible story. Um, what was the first thing you heard about it? What did Potsy say to you or how did it land in your lap as such? I was making dinner one night and uh, I got an email. You've been offered the role of Henry in a movie called Old Henry. It's a drama. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and, and I thought, well, it happened. I'm you know, now playing characters who are old. All right. Uh, and so I opened the script, read it, and um, inside of this violent, surprising, both enormous but very intimate Western was the story of a father and son. And I'm here in New York raising three kids, uh, all of them boys. And what Potsy had to say about the struggle that goes on inside of a parent as you navigate the question, do I shield my kids from the world or do I expose them to the world so that they're able better to handle its challenges when they become adults? And the tension between those two impulses uh, really spoke to me. And um, so I decided to meet with Potsy and was suddenly Zooming with a, uh, because that's the way we do it now. Um, right, exactly. With uh, a filmmaker who was um, benignly, you know, relentless in pursuit of a film he wanted to make and I wanted to sign on. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I love that. So. Talk about Henry and crafting him and, you know, the collaboration you had with Potsy about, you know, building out this character. In part because of COVID, I had an entire year between when I accepted the role and, and when we were shooting. And so Potsy and I spent about the first six months of that um, working together on the script. Uh, because he asked me to come on as a producer. Um, and I, I said yes on two conditions. One was that I really do the work because I don't like actors taking that title uh, just to have it. Um, I think that you need to do the work if you're gonna be called a producer or executive producer. Um, but also th that, that he always had the last word. 
and that it was always going to be his film. And he said, yes, of course. Uh, and I trusted him and came to learn that that was the case because sometimes I had ideas he didn't like um, and he didn't take them. And that was not only um, acceptable, it was great. But we we worked together to craft the the role based on because he's he's without spoiling anything he's in part based on a historical figure mm. um, and so we just dove into the history of the guy and just nuanced and shaped the role in a way that was really true to the biographical material. And we did that for a good six months. Um, spent, you know, often days in a row, hours on the phone together. Uh, and then leading up to the movie, I had just a, an enormous amount of prep time. Uh, after that, another six months. And... I used that time to, I guess, refract everything I read about the character through the single image that we have of him, because there's one mm -hmm. photograph of him, um, with the fact that he's been farming for 30 years and has left all that behind. And just very, very slowly in a way that seeped in, figured out how he moved, how he handled the gun, how he farmed, all of that. Uh, the way that actors do. Um, but I had the luxury of time. Yeah. I mean, talk about how having the luxury of time helped you get into, you know, get into Henry in terms of like, the gun, you know, the way you use the gun in this film was, made me just stop for a moment and think, wow, this is incredible. And then obviously, you know, there's the last, the, the gun fight without spoiling things with Stephen Dorff. But have, how did having the luxury of time help you with, you know, using the gun and get into who Henry was? Well, I had the foundation of having done The Ballad of Buster Scruggs. And I had worked for months and months learning pistol tricks. Um, and that was a blessing and a curse because this character is so different from Buster Scruggs. Buster Scruggs is incredibly performative, theatrical, as Ethan Cohen said one day on the set, he just doesn't shut up. Um, whereas old Henry is a, a man who wants to tell you as little about himself as possible because to do so makes him vulnerable. He's repressing and hiding and concealing his past. He's not exposing it. He doesn't want you to know who he is. And he's the same way in, in how he handles a gun. Buster Scruggs was all about flash and presentation and flourish. And for Henry, it's a lethal tool and only that. And it's also a lethal tool that not only doesn't want to 
used to show off his skills, but he doesn't even want to touch a gun anymore. He's he's really made concerted efforts to leave that behind so that he can protect his son from becoming the sort of man he was and the sort of man he is repudiated. And so in a sense, it was like learning how to use a gun all over again, because I wanted no vestiges of Buster Scruggs in the character. And as actors who do several movies, um, you know, you start to accumulate a sort of expectation with the audience about what it is you're going to do and how you're going to be. And in service of this movie, you know, I really wanted to dispense with that immediately um, in the way my character spoke, moved, acted, and handled stuff. Uh, and that really did start and end with the gun because ultimately that's what he's all about. It, you know, it turns out even as he's protecting his son, he's doing it with a gun. Yeah. What was the most challenging aspect of playing Henry Beer? Um, on, you know, the, the, there were two challenges that equaled one another. One was the, the emotional exposure that occurs at the end of the movie with his son and finding a way to play that honestly, but not mawkishly. Because what Potsy wrote was not at all sentimental. And I, I really wanted to resist the danger of, you know, too much emotion, um, but it's an yeah. incredibly emotional scene. And so we had to find a balance with that uh, because if that scene were played wrong, the movie could end up seeming silly. And then just overall, it was a very physically challenging role. Uh, not just in terms of the, the fact that he's a very active character who's <laughs> at the end of the movie defending his house almost single-handedly against eight intruders. Um, but just the way he interacts physically with the world around him was a really tough acting challenge. Uh, yeah. You know, not just the pistols, but the way he ties a knot, the way he rides a horse, the way he handles a hoe, um, you know, the way he picks up a lamp, all of that stuff, which is, um, you know, I didn't want to be anachronistic. And to find a way to have such ease with everything that it never felt like a performance was its own challenge. And, you know, that's something that, you know, every actor is responsible for. And, and you know, I felt um, quite grateful for the challenge. Yeah. I, I love that. Um, so I'm curious, I mean, you have such a great body of work, um, you know, 
most recently you you did Watchmen, you've done The Report, you've done Just Mercy, um, you know, up next you've got Nightmare Alley. What draws you to a role? What makes you say yes to a role when you get a script? First and foremost, a, a, a project needs to feel irresistible. Um, I have to be able to say, I can't not do this. But then I have to feel like the director, the guy in charge or the woman in charge is going to be, as I said earlier about Potsy, benignly relentless in pursuit of their vision. Right. I have to feel like I'm right for the role and that the director isn't wrong about me. And sometimes I've felt like somebody wanted me for a role. I was offered one yesterday, in fact. Uh, and I just think they can do better for the role than, than casting me. Um, so I have to feel like I'm right for the role and that I'll bring something no one else can in a way that fits the director's vision. And that's not arrogance or, or conceitedness. It's, it's actually not wanting to be on somebody's set and fail them because I know what it takes to get a movie made. And if you've got an actor there who's wrong for the part, then it's, you know, what, why did you gather the crew and all these resources to make a movie? So I want to feel like I'm right for a part. And then finally, I need to feel like the production is going to work in support of the director. And that people aren't going to be fighting him or her or arguing about the vision. Because I think the best movies are made by final cut directors um, in every respect. And if all that's at play, you know, the size of a role, what I'm going to be paid, not as important. Yeah. So I will, I mean, we've had our first look as such at Nightmare Alley. What can you share about playing Carney Boss and what was that like? I will tell you it's a pivotal role, but not a large role. <laughs> um, uh, which proves my point. The irresistible, Guillermo del Toro is a spectacular director who is benignly relentless. His producers support him. <laughs> and uh, I was right for the part and I didn't care that it wasn't very big. Um, so uh, Guillermo and this movie is no exception, is as eloquent a, a, a person as I know when it comes to condemning fascism and in this case, condemning the dangers um, and, and mercilessness of capitalism. And he does that in the milieu of the carnival in a, in, in, in a lacerating way. So watch this space. Um, I, I was reading 
a couple of your interviews and and you know just going over some things and actually Gene Smart had mentioned once that you during Watchmen you actually took her to a strip club I want to hear that story especially now after she won the Emmy and she was actually on, on the variety cover um a few weeks ago so what can you share about that? I'm trying to tap into the comedy side of you now, Tim. <laughs> well, uh, there's a place in Atlanta called the Claremont Lounge. And it's a strip club. And it's not a fancy strip club. It's a divey strip club. Uh, in which there's no age requirement on the upper end to the strippers on the lower end. Yes. I think whatever you have to be 21, but you can be an 80 year old stripper and they will not only allow you on the stage, they'll encourage her. And even though it's a strip club, it's a celebration of women and the female body. And I said, Gene, we got to go here. And she said, I don't know, Tim. I said, Gene, we've simply got to do it. I'm going. And so she said, well, I can't let you go alone. And so uh, after our final night on Watchmen, um, our final day on Watchmen, which was a split, Uh, We showed up at this place uh, at about 11 at night and stayed well past one. Um, And I've been in other strip clubs because, you know, that's what a lot of guys do in their 20s. And I would mainly, um, uh, you know, I would generally leave feeling depressed and perhaps guilty. And so I stopped going to them, but I didn't feel depressed or guilty after I went to the Claremont Lounge. It's an experience I, um, I wouldn't trade for anything. Uh, in terms of Jean, <laughs> um, she found herself next to the bus driver for a country music star whom I will not name, who was about half her age and was just hitting on her mercilessly. It it was like nothing I've ever seen before. And of course it's Jean, she can handle anything. And so she navigated it with a plum, but the guy just wouldn't stop. And I kept trying to intervene and Gene would say, Tim, I can handle this. I got it. You don't need to get involved. In fact, you'll only make it worse. And in that venue where there was a 70 year old woman stripping in front of us, uh, proud and powerful, I wasn't going to contradict Gene. That is a fabulous story and thank you for sharing sharing that um I'm gonna go back to old Henry I know we're not gonna spoil it but did you with the ending um did you 
go down? Did you look into conspiracy theories and what did you do for the rest of your research? Like, did it, did it take you down any paths that you hadn't expected to go down? Not in the vein of conspiracy theories, but I learned an enormous amount about the figure upon whom the character is at least partly based. And that, that furnished a really interesting problem for me as an actor, because this character is available to us in only one photograph. And I got a hold of that photograph, not of course the original print, um, but on the internet. Uh, and then I read everything I could find about the character. And the refraction through the photograph of the actual biographical material was an interesting process because in the photograph, the character is posing the image of himself as a mythological figure. He's not, it's not a candid, true photograph. He's presenting something of himself. It's very histrionic and showy. And in a sense, it's, it's it, and, and very badass. <laughs> um, and since that's what the Western is, and every genre film is also about the genre, it became an interesting exercise in finding the aspects of how he wanted to present himself as a badass outlaw in the truth of the character in Patsy Ponzeroli's movie, Old Henry, so that you believed he was a real human being. And, and you didn't think, oh, there's an actor prancing around or showing us his acting work. And so that was a really fun challenge to get so, to try anyway, and get so deeply inside of the myth of the guy refracted through the actual histories I read and get to a real human being that almost seems you know, that, that seems lived in in the movie and not presented to the audience in an overly theatrical way. A real guy. Well, the movie is out on October the 1st, so, or already actually be out by the time people will hear this. But let's talk about the pandemic. I mean, it's been quite a year, you know, but you've been working, you've been on sets. Um, but what did you make time for? you know, during when we were in lockdown whilst we were trying to navigate through, through I, I did, this. I did a lot of reading and a lot of writing and spent an enormous amount of time with my kids and my wife. So I have very little to complain about it. Um, to quote my friend, Ethan, uh, it confirmed the way I want to live my life in certain ways. And I, I you know, I don't want to be um, cavalier. 
But I also don't want to lie to you and say that it's been miserable for me because it hasn't. Uh, other than the fact that I did have a friend who died of COVID. Um, but, you know, all the more reason not to hold forth about any difficulties I might have had personally, because uh, luckily around here, we weren't terrifically inconvenienced the way that so many other people were. I feel terrible for my kids, though. You know, my my middle boy, my middle boy lost his senior year of high school um, to learning over Zoom. And um, my youngest son, uh, his freshman year in high school, and and our oldest boy came home from music conservatory uh, because, you know, when they shut down Oberlin. And I feel yeah. terrible for them. You know, their, yeah. their mom and I got to see more of them. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I feel terrible for them. And I, you know, I should probably say I feel terrible for them for having to be around their parents. That's Tim Blake Nelson of Old Henry, now in theaters. And that's it for this edition of Variety's Award Circuit Podcast. Drew Griffith edited this episode and Michael Schneider is the producer. Be sure to subscribe to the Award Circuit Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you download podcasts. Also, head on over to Variety.com and click on the Award Circuit tab to find the latest Oscar predictions and key races, as well as your daily fix of news, analysis, and reviews. For Jazz Tanke, Clayton Davis, and Janelle Riley, I'm Michael Schneider, and we'll see you on the circuit. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.